0: in your child's heart seminar, and I was thankful for that. And always, I'm always impressed with the fact that, uh, I'm sure you've noticed this, that as you you meet Christian people, people that you've never even known before, you can immediately have fellowship, you can fall into very deep, meaningful conversation because of the union you have in Christ. And and I've had a sense of that being with you uh, this weekend, and I'm very grateful for that and thankful for your, your fellowship uh, with me. I also... Uh, uh, I am uh, thankful for the opportunity to uh, preach the Word of God to you this morning. And I want to draw your attention to a passage in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you want to turn there uh, and follow as I read that passage in a moment. I've chosen this text because I was thinking about uh, uh, a passage that would work in concert with the messages that Pastor Nick has brought in the last couple of weeks from 1 Peter 2 and from 1 Peter chapter 4. And this Ephesians 5 passage is the passage that talks about making uh, the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time. What well, follows I read, beginning with verse 15 Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask the Spirit of God that caused these words to be written by inspiration to Uh, speak them to our hearts this morning, to lift the words off the page and plant them within us. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you recognizing uh, how profoundly we need your grace and your help. We want this time of hearing your word to be a time in which your spirit works within each one of us. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our needs. You know the concerns, the cares that we've brought in here with us. You know our sins and failings of the last week You know our desire for you and our aspirations to serve you, and we pray that you would use your word this morning to be that means of refining us, of convicting us, of encouraging us, of strengthening us, of giving us focus so that we may live purposefully uh, as disciples of Christ. Grant us this grace, we pray. Speak to us through your word, we ask, for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and who gave himself for us. Amen. The passage that I want to talk to you about this morning comes at the end of a larger section in the book of of, uh, Ephesians, and you'll notice the passage begins, Be very careful then how you live. And the then really references the fact that he's taking us back up above to the other things that he has been speaking of. And really, uh, he's summarizing the teaching that he began in verse 17 of chapter 4. Verses 17 through 24 of chapter 4 are just a seminal passage of Scripture that that describe uh, the Christian life. They make a contrast between the lifestyle of a Christian and the lifestyle of an unbeliever. And uh, Because a non-Christian lives out of the futility of his thinking, Paul says. His his understanding is darkened. He lives in, in, in the ignorance that... That is in him is someone whose heart is hard. He's lost all sensitivities. He's, he's given himself to himself to sensuality. He's opened himself to appetites and desires that can never be in the life of someone who's pleasing God. And, 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 and uh, as we read that description, we never want to read those descriptions in the Bible in self-righteous ways, in us and them sorts of ways. Because this passage is not written as a condemnation of unbelievers who are living in ignorance and darkness. What it's, it's written as an encouragement for us who are God's children. It's written uh, to, to strengthen us as God's people, as people who have experienced new birth and have experienced the work of God and forgiveness and who need God's grace because even yet we're capable of great sin and, and uh, we easily fall prey to, to so many things that turn us away from God. And so, at the head of this passage, uh, this seminal passage on Christian lifestyle, the Apostle Paul reminds us not to live like the Gentiles. You've come to know Christ, and you're to live as those who have been taught the truth as it is in Jesus. You've been taught to put off that old way of life and to put on a new self, to to live as this new you, this new person who's been recreated in Christ in, in righteousness and holiness. And so as a Christian, you have appetites, you have desires, you have, you, you have uh, passions within you that are new, that are there because of the work of grace in your heart. It's God's work that makes you want God and want what God has for you. So th- this passage is calling us to that, to, to that lifestyle. And Paul works through a whole series of contrasts in those next verses that are, are descriptions of the difference between a Christian lifestyle and a non-Christian lifestyle. He says, don't lie, but speak the truth. Uh, when you're angry, don't sin. Uh, when you s- don't steal, but work. Don't take, but give to others. Uh, don't use unwholesome words, but use words that are helpful, that build others up according to their need. Get rid of bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, malice, and put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness like God has forgiven you. Live like Christ. Uh, Live a life of love and sacrifice. There, uh, There should be no hint of sexual immorality or impurity or foolish talk or coarse joking because God's wrath is on those things, and we've been called to something different. You can't make it that your lifestyle, Paul says, and inherit the kingdom of God. Live as children of light. So that that brings us, that summary brings us to this statement in verse 15, be careful then how you live. Now we're called in this passage to live with wisdom. And we're given five characteristics of wisdom. Uh, But before we get to that, I want for us to notice what Paul says in this passage. He says, be careful, be very careful then how you live. It's, It's a call to vigilance. It's a call to intentionality. It's a call to to carefulness, to 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 watchfulness. The the King James translates this uh, passage: "Be circumspect." Uh, do you hear two words there? A circumference, circle, spectate to look, uh, looking all around you is the idea. Watch, being watchful, like you might be if you were using an ATM in a busy city that was a strange city to you and what looked like a dangerous neighborhood late at night. You'd be very circumspect. You've been looking around you. Your eyes will be darting back and forth. you would be looking for any movement in the shadows. You want to make sure you can use the machine, grab your money, and get back to your vehicle uh, to a place of safety in a hurry because you don't know what dangers might look. And Paul is calling us to that kind of life. Be very careful. Be vigilant. Living lives of people who, uh, as John Piper says, are on a warfare footing. We're in a battle. Where we want to live in ways that honor God. And so he's calling us to that kind of vigilance to maintaining purity of heart and purity of life and reflecting a Christian lifestyle in the ways that He's called us to. Now, I want to speak to you for just for a moment. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And I want to speak for just a moment about wisdom, because when we think about wisdom, we should not think of wisdom as an intellectual quality. Wisdom is not being smart. It's not being street savvy. It's not being intelligent. Uh, wisdom is a spiritual quality. Where does wisdom begin? Wisdom begins, Proverbs 9, 10 says, Proverbs 15, 10 says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the first step in the pathway of wisdom. Wisdom begins with awe and reverence of God. Wisdom begins with a heart toward God that recognizes God is a holy, powerful, majestic, glorious God. He's one before whom I stand. He's one before whom I will give an account. I live every day under his watchful eye, and one day I will stand before him and give an account of the deeds I've done in my body and even every idle word I've spoken. It's that sense of reverence, awe, holy fear, not a slavish fear like, I think he's going to hit me, but reverence and awe before God. That's what wisdom is. We're called here to walk in wisdom. It's a spiritual quality. It's not an intellectual quality. And it's the it's the polar opposite of the other quality that's mentioned in this passage, because in this passage also is mentioned the word foolishness. Uh, don't be foolish, uh, but understand the will of the Lord. Yeah, foolishness, what is foolishness? Foolishness is not an intellectual issue either. It's not a matter of someone being dumb, low IQ, not very smart, doesn't connect the dots. No, foolishness in the Scripture is a person who refuses to acknowledge God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I will not be ruled by anything but me and my own purposes, my own desires, my own passions. I will be my own self-directed person. That's the heart of a fool. And you can see how that's the polar opposite of the person who is wise. Because the person who is wise is living in reverence of God, in fear of God, and in in desiring to serve God and please God in every way. So the wisdom and foolishness are contrasted for us in this passage. We're being called to live in wisdom. Now, there are five characteristics of wisdom in this passage that I want to look at with you five things for us to see. The first is that wisdom makes the most of every opportunity. The King James translates this, redeeming the time, Uh, making the most of every opportunity. Jonathan Edwards, a great uh, uh, American, probably the the greatest American thinker America has ever produced. They're still producing his sermons in the Yale Library uh, series. But Edwards, uh, as a teenager, he wrote 30 resolutions by which he would live, and the fifth resolution was resolved never to lose a moment of time, but to improve on it in the most profitable way I can. Uh, Resolution. I just don't know too many young men making those kinds of resolutions these days, but that was Edwards' resolution uh, that he made when he was still in his teens. The best translation of this uh, idea is is making the most of every opportunity it's it, and it's a metaphor from the word fr- from the world of business a wise trader a wise merchant a wise businessman is is vigilant about opportunities he's watching for opportunities he's seeing where is there an opportunity where is there a trend where is something i can invest in where i can capitalize and, and benefit he's he he's, he captures those golden moments of opportunity a non-christians uh, world view is very different than that a non Christian is settling in he sees this world as a place to settle in to to live as well as he can for himself and to enjoy it to the full and The Christian sees his this life as a journey. The world is passing away. John says in first John chapter two Paul says that that uh, we are strangers and pilgrims we 're sojourners on this earth we 're passing through this life. this world is not our home. remember. His words in in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. This life is not our final home. And we can't live with wisdom unless we remember that this world is not our final resting place. As Romans 13 says, uh, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Let's live as children of the day, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity means making the very best possible use of of my time, watching for those things that can distract and tempt me. They're going to draw me away from God and away from my purposes, watching for opportunities of witness, opportunities to, to proclaim Christ to others, looking for ways to show the love of God, looking for means by which I can grow in grace. Well, I have drive time. Let me listen to an and a, a podcast during that drive time and be filling my mind with truth. I'm, I'm running, I'm exercising. I could take my MP3 player with me. I could be listening to good things. I have these few minutes. I could be reading something that's going to edify and strengthen me, showing Christ to others in our, uh, being watchful about showing Christ to others in our speech and our action and our responses, seeing every opportunity. Boy, there's someone on the side of the road. Maybe I can stop, help them, and have an opportunity to speak to them in behalf of Christ. Make do do you notice the reason for making the most of every opportunity in this passage? It says make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We live in in evil days. The days between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, these last days are evil days. They're days in which wickedness abounds. Remember how Paul describes that in 2nd Timothy chapter 3. He says Um, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Doesn't that sound like a description of our culture? We're living in those evil days. And as God's people, we're called to make the most of every opportunity to live as Christians, to speak God's truth, to, to set God before other people. Here's a question. What are the ways in which you're making the most of every opportunity? Are you living with vigilance? with carefulness, with alertness to temptations and things that are going to draw you away from Christ? Are you watchful for opportunities to speak in behalf of Christ? Who are the people that look at you and think, oh, that's that guy that you can't talk to him for five minutes without him talking to you about Jesus? What are the ways that you're intentionally guarding your heart? against sin and temptation. We were in India in the month of November, had an opportunity to speak with a man, a pastor 71 years old, pastors a church in Isol, which is way out in the far northeast of India, north of Burma, actually, clear east of India. And uh, this, the, this pastor has been serving in this part of the country where they're seeing literally thousands and Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Just marvelous revival that is going on. As we were, I was talking to, to him and trying to understand his ministry and what was going on there, one of the things he shared with me is he said, I consistently challenge the people I serve, look for 10 evangelistic conversations this week. This week, be looking for 10 people to whom you can intentionally speak about Jesus and talk to them about Christ. Be on the lookout and, and have that as a goal. I want to have 10 evangelistic conversations a week. Do you not realize the fruit that produces in the lives of the church? I, he said, we had a baptism last month. I said, how many people? 168 people. Have you ever seen a baptism with 168 people? I've never, seen a, never been part of a baptism service where there were 168 people. He said, we had another one last month. How many people? 180 people. You see, they have a church of people who, who are receiving their pastor's exhortation to make the most of every opportunity. It's one of the ways we need to live in wisdom. Wisdom makes the most of every opportunity. The second thing is wisdom understands the will of the Lord. There's a clear parallel here, I think you'll hear, between this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and the passage in Romans 12, because Romans this passage says, don't be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed any more to the pattern of this world, <laughs> be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You hear that in both of those passages, the contrast between living as unwise, living as according to the pattern of the world, contrasted with living with people as people of wisdom, living with people with renewed minds. Now where does God reveal His will for us? His will is revealed in His Word. In the immediate context of this passage, knowing what the will of God is means don't lie but speak the truth. When you're angry, don't sin. Don't work, or excuse me, don't steal but work. Don't take from others but give to others. Uh, Don't use unwholesome words, but use words that build other people up. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Be kind, compassionate, tenderhearted, loving one another just as God, forgiving one another just as God forgave you. No hint of sexual immorality or impurity. Living according to God's will means obedience to God and what God has called us to, turning away from those things which God's word forbids and to those things that God's word commands understanding the will of God. Paul even speaks here of the sin of drunkenness. Think how profoundly drunkenness or, or, or any kind of self-indulgence, how it's the polar opposite of living with wisdom. Getting drunk on wine, getting a buzz from anything reflects a life that is self-indulgent, and reflects a life that is a pursuit of pleasure and a dulling of pain rather than a pursuit of God. And people who open themselves up to those things open themselves up to a host of other sins. And it's amazing how many times there are Christian people who are not living according to the will of God. I've been counseling a man recently who, who, who's a professing Christian, part of a church, married to a, 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 a Christian wife. But this man creates contests of love every single day. He's asking her to jump through all kinds of hoops every day to prove his, her love to him. And he's destroying her and destroying his family in the process. Here's the question I have for you this morning. How prominently does understanding God's will and living according to God's will Figure in your life? How much of a priority is that for you? How self conscious, how intentional are you about about speaking the truth in love? About using no unwholesome words? About getting rid of bitterness and rage and anger and slander? About being kind and compassionate and tender hearted? About not even having a hint. Of sexual morality or impurity uh, in your life. Wisdom is reflected in understanding the will of God and walking in it. So wisdom involves making the most of every opportunity. Wisdom involves understanding the Lord's will. Wisdom involves walking in the Spirit. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Christians are to live their lives under the influence. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's a clear contrast Paul's making between a life living under the influence of alcohol and living a life under the influence of the Spirit of God. We're to live the li- our lives under the influence of the Spirit. It's really what Paul speaks of in, Ephes- in Galatians chapter 5. And he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, those qualities are precisely the qualities that enable you to live the Christian lifestyle that we're called to in Ephesians 4 and 5. Being under the influence of the Spirit is what will enable you to make the most of every opportunity. Being under the influence of the Spirit is what will Open the Word of God to you so that the will of God is compelling and attractive and desirable to you. All the descriptions of Christian living, living a life in which you encourage others, in which you you are full of thanksgiving and gratitude, all these depend on the work of the Spirit of God within you. You cannot do it on your own. And we've been given the Spirit of God to empower us to do what God has called us to do. And the exhortations to keep in step with the Spirit fill out for us what it means to live under the influence of the Spirit. We're we're to live by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our sinful nature, Paul says in Galatians 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Here's a question for you How can you develop a greater sensitivity? To the work of the Spirit in your life? How can you open yourself up to the Spirit of God more fully? In your life? How can you, with more intentionality, come before God every day and say, God, I want my life, I want myself to be a, a, a temple in which you dwell by your Spirit, and which I live today by your Spirit to love you, to show your grace and your goodness to others, to live a life in which I pursue the will of God and holiness and knowing you. How can you intentionally open yourself up? Or we could ask ourselves these things. How many things do you find yourself desiring and being preoccupied by that that actually would be put aside or put in their proper place if you're living your life full of the Spirit? What temptations to envy discontent, unhappiness would you be able to put to rest if you were living in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? In what ways have you allowed the Spirit of God to be grieved in your life? I'm persuaded that in many churches, possibly every church, in America there are on any given sunday there are men who have come into the church with their family and the worship of god is taking place and and songs that praise god are on the 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 overhead and 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 people are standing there trying to sing these songs of praise of god And there are men standing there who feel dead and cold inside. And they feel dead and cold inside because all week long they've been going places they should never go on the Internet. And now it's time to worship God. And God's Spirit has been so grieved by their sin that they have no sense of the felt presence of God or true joy and delight in God, and the passions for God they used to feel are a distant memory that they haven't felt recently because they've hardened their heart by going places they should never go. And they've opened themselves up to things they should never open themselves up to. And see, if you've been grieving the Spirit all week, or if you've been indifferent to the ministry of the Spirit in other areas, Maybe you're you're, you're full of bitterness towards somebody. They've sinned against you. They've hurt you, and you just can't let it go. And that, that, that purpose to hang on to that hurt and not let it go and not extend forgiveness and be cold and distancing from that person, maybe even a spouse, keeps you from experiencing worship and joy in the presence of God because you've stifled the work of the Spirit of God within you. And I want to urge you if you find yourself in that situation, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's power, there's victory in Jesus, but you need to seek him and if you're a man here today who struggled with pornography and you're and you you're losing this battle, you need to seek help, you need to seek the help of your pastors you need to you need to seek godly counsel. You need to have accountability. You need to fall in love with Jesus all over again because ultimately it's delighting God that's going to make that seem as tawdry and ugly and seemy as it really is. You've got to secure help. There's a great website, uh, uh, com, which is a tremendous website, gospel-centered uh, help for men who are struggling with this area of sin. You can even uh, do the lessons online and copy your pastors or your elders so they can be looking over your shoulder and, and, and holding you accountable as you strive to work with that. But living with wisdom means that we, walk, we make the most of every opportunity, we understand God's will, we walk in the Spirit. Fourthly, it means we are an encouragement to others. Ephesians 5 says, Sing and make music to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Before I discuss that topic, let me remind you that there's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians and Ephesians share about 80% of their verses. And there's a parallel passage in Colossians 3 uh, that says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, the passage is not just about singing hymnody and spiritual songs, but it's about the Word of God dwelling richly in the child of God so that uh, it's God's Word that is, is, is filling us all the time. And, and let me make this observation. When you are encouraging someone from God's Word, when you're reminding someone of precious Bible truth, when you're encouraging someone who's downcast and saying, you can hope in God, God can give you grace, God will help you, when you're doing that, you are being strengthened yourself, aren't you? Because that very act of encouraging them is reinforcing in you the truth that you have embraced and that you believe. And that and that encouragement is the encouragement that others need as well. Now, these terms, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, the psalms, of course, refer to the Psalter, God's songbook that he gave to the children of Israel. Uh, hymns probably are songs most scholars believe that extol Christ and Christ's uh, work and spiritual songs are songs that talk about other things for which we praise God other than Christ and His, uh, his, his work of atonement. But it's interesting to me that in Ephesians 5, there's both audible and inaudible uh, rehearsing of truth, reminding, singing of, of truth. So that it says, sing to one another and sing you know, within your own heart. Uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Let me ask you a question: Who do you encourage in Christ regularly? From whom do you receive encouragement? Who, who have you you welcomed into your life to be a person who is involved in your life and gives you encouragement from the Word of God? What opportunities do you have to do that? What relationships have you cultivated? that create a context where you can very naturally bring Bible encouragement to this Christian, and they can receive Bible encouragement from you. Sometimes even in the church, we don't develop those kinds of relationships. We leave a service of worship and we talk about our gas mileage instead of talking about God and His goodness to us. But we need to develop those kinds of relationships that, in which we can receive encouragement, give encouragement, to others. So wisdom makes the most of every opportunity. Wisdom understands the Lord's will. Wisdom walks in the Spirit. Wisdom encourages one another. Wisdom is thankful. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God for everything. Now, being thankful presupposes three things. It presupposes that the blessings we enjoy are not entitlements, they're gifts. You don't give thanks to your boss for paying you. You earned it. <laughs> but recognizing these are not entitlements. They're gifts I've received from God. And in all honesty, we cannot give ourselves credit for the things that we've received. As members of a fallen race who are compulsively self-serving and self-loving, everything we've received is a mercy, undeserved mercy from God. Remember God's goodness to you. And these blessings Uh, thirdly, are manifold. There's so many blessings we receive from the hand of God. There's an old hymn that says, Ten thousand, thousand precious gifts my daily thanks employ. Thousands and thousands of gifts each day, if you think on it. Now, there are two words in this passage. that are comprehensive words that, that are attached to thanksgiving. Always and everything. Always giving thanks to God. Always thankful. Always giving thanks. And giving thanks in everything. So when should we give thanks? Always. For what should we give thanks? Everything. For everything. Obviously, we give thanks for God's blessings, the gifts that He gives to us. Remember the Israelites when they went through the 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 Red Sea, and the Egyptian cohort was drowned in the sea. uh, On the other side of the sea, they gave thanks to God, and sang the great song of thanksgiving. Jonah in the whale, desperate circumstances. Under the water, in this great fish, he gives thanks to God. In the best, in the worst of circumstances, we can always give thanks because there's, there's never a time when we are not under the watchful care of God and when God is not working in our lives for our good and for His glory. So we give thanks for everything, for all blessings physical, and spiritual, for our, for ordinary and extraordinary, for present, past, future blessings. Even Paul praises God even for the circumstance of being in chains because he knew that God was in it working for God's good or for Paul's good and for God's glory. So there are wisdoms described for us. Wisdom is making the most of every opportunity. Living in wisdom means Understanding the will of the Lord. Living in wisdom means walking in the Spirit. Living in wisdom means encouraging other people. Living in wisdom means being a person who is full of thanksgiving. Have you ever noticed how thanksgiving and complaining don't fit in the same mouth? It's But always giving thanks to God. Well, you know what you're supposed to do now, right? So go do it. Obviously, we can't do it, can we? Without the grace and strength of God, what is our hope of being people who, who who are wise? If we're going to do what this passage is calls us to do, we have to turn to the passage of enablement in chapter three. It says, uh, "I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being." Boy, that's so! I love that passage. Being strengthened with power. In my inner being, in the part of me that is internal, twisted, warped, needing grace, strength, enablement, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the indwelling presence of Christ that is empowering to us. And I pray that being rooted and established in love. There are two metaphors there. There's establish of a uh, the, the picture of a plant with deep roots. The other metaphor is a building with a strong, sturdy foundation. Being rooted. And established in love, you might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. How great is Christ's love for you? How deep is his commitment to you? It took him to the cross. He laid down His life for you. And I want to remind you this morning, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, if you've never repented, you never believed, I want you to think on how great the love of God is. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is a willing Able, powerful Savior of sinners. And He will save you and receive you and forgive you and transform you and empower you to walk in His ways. What is your hope this morning of living in wisdom? Christ lived for us, He lived without sin in our flesh and flesh. Like ours he lived without sin, as a one to whom the spirit was given without measure, and as a, a man, the God man, he fulfilled all righteousness for us, so that we might have righteousness and he died as a sacrifice for our sins, so that the guilt of our sins could be atoned for, could be marked and stamped, paid in full and he lives. Even this morning, this is so glorious, he lives this morning to pray for us. He's at the right hand of the Father right now, continuing his redemptive work, praying for us and praying that God's will will be formed in us. You won't walk in wisdom in your own strength. And just knowing what to do will not be enough. Because it's not just a matter of getting the ideas right in our minds. But Christ is strong and powerful. He lived without sin for you. He died as a sacrifice for your sins. He prays for us at the right hand of the Father. And through His enablement, we can live in the ways that He's called us to live. We can be people who walk in wisdom. We can be people who make the most of every opportunity. We can be people who live as those, as the temple of God, as the people of God. We can be people who are who are pouring our lives out and in every way God calls us to because of His grace and His power. I want to, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to invite you that if, if you, have, if you have things that you would like to pray about, you'd like to think about, you'd to to just even as I pray, be praying within your own spirit, Lord, help me. Help me in this area in which I've been convicted, in this area in which I've been encouraged and goaded to greater faithfulness. Help me, strengthen me, enable me. And of course, if you want to come and speak uh, to Uh, Pastor Nick, he'll be here in the front after I pray and he'll be happy, or after we're done, he'll be happy to speak with you as well. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you in prayer this morning with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for your word, how precious your word is to us and how marvelous it is in the way that it describes our need and shows us your glory. And we pray, oh God, that you would strengthen us to be people who walk in wisdom, who make the most of every opportunity. We pray, Lord, for your help, for your strength. We pray for the ministry of your spirit to us, to encourage us that these things that you convict us about are things that you uh, lived and died, and pray for us to know victory in. We pray for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.